you know, I, I had no money, I had no career anymore. You know, I'd worked so hard for, for the three years before that to build this this name and this business uh, for myself. Um, and one night on the piss and on the drugs had absolutely destroyed it all. That's Sean Weir. He's the man behind the Shaka Project, a movement that shares Youngblood's mission to ignite the tough conversations around men's mental health. It's based on a clothing line stamped with the Shaka hand gesture, symbolising the wearer's willingness to open up about their mental health and be there for their mates. And if someone knows about the Shaka and they see walking down the street with a Shaka jumper on, you know, they're not going to say, oh, shit, that bloke over there is not very well. You know, he's a pussy, doesn't, he's, a, he's got mental health issues. He's going to think, holy shit, that guy's like me. Sean started the Shaka Project thinking it'd just be for his hometown, but the power of the project resonated so much, it's quickly spread interstate and overseas. That's our proudest achievement, just to be able to reach more and more people. Sean's now a young father, a successful business owner, and an all-round calm and compassionate bloke, the polar opposite of who he was not all that long ago. He still struggles from time to time, but it's all good, bro. So do we. It's just such a better friendship. There's no fake, uh, you know, I'll be right, mate. I'll be fine. There's just authenticity when it comes to, you know, hey, mate, I'm doing really shit. Can you come around and have a beer with me? Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. Trigger warning, this episode discusses suicide. If you or someone you know is suicidal, please call Lifeline on 13 14 11 or the suicide prevention hotline in your country. In high school, Sean, some might have said that you were off the rails. Can you tell us a bit about that time uh, in your teenage years? Yeah, so uh, I was most definitely off the rails, but I think I was off the rails because of, uh, you know, I was always a bit of a deeper thinker and um, always had this idea in my head that I, I did actually have a little bit more in me and that everything that I was doing at the time was pretty stupid. Um, but in saying that, it didn't really stop me from doing anything because I just simply thought it was, it was the best thing for me to do. Um, I thought it was cool, you know, I thought I'd get the chicks, all that sort of stuff, you know, the typical... Um, you know, kid that's going through puberty that just wants to, um, you know, get with every single chick that he sees and be the most popular kid. <laughs> you just like, saw that as a way of getting an identity. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. So I um, I hung out with a few nasty people and um, I had a great, like my family was absolutely amazing. There was, you know, I had a pretty stable relationship with uh, my parents. My, my parents did split up when I was pretty young, but we still had a pretty good relationship. Um so my mum sort of raised me, you know, majority of my teenage years um, and great relationship with her. You know, it wasn't anything at home that was uh, putting me in these situations. Um, and then when I went to school, it was just like I was there for mates and that's about it. Um, I did enjoy learning, but again, I had that identity that, you know, fuck learning. It's, I don't want to do that shit. I just want to be able to do what I, what I want to do. Um, I want to be able to sort of live my own life and, and not let anyone control me and all that sort of stuff too. So, you know, when I started to hit sort of 15, 16, um, my best mate at the time, you know, we started to get on the on the grog and um, started to drink a fair bit. You know, every weekend we'd find house parties and just all that normal sort of teenage stuff that you, you get up to, you know, sneaking out of the house. And, um, you know, we used to have parties at my house, which used to turn into full-on, you know, benders for, for weekends and, and weeks in advance. So... Um, it, it got out of control pretty quick. Yeah. Um, 
throughout sort of the, the whole school time as well. You know, I was still going to school, um, you know, five days a week. I was still doing my study. I was still, um, you know, going to class most of the time. Um, and then as I sort of got more into all this sort of lifestyle of, you know, hitting drugs, hitting alcohol whenever I could, um, that's when school, you know, really started to get affected. And, uh, you know, I'd walk in one one end of the school and I'd walk out the next um, and pretty much, you know, catch a bus into school, then get on the next bus back into town and, <laughs> and hang out of the town yeah. or just go home or, or go to a mate's house or something like that. So it was, it was sort of a, a train wreck, uh, you know, really to happen. Um, hanging out with the wrong people and then you know when I st- first started you know trying out drugs and um, and stuff like that it just started off pretty uh, innocently you know I started doing some marijuana and um, you know I started to smoke that you know pretty much every sort of second day of second third day um, and then on the weekends I'd probably really really blow out and you know pretty much be stoned the entire weekend yeah um, I got to the point where I started doing it at school um, you know, everyone was smoking cigarettes at school. I never was really a big cigarette smoker. Um, but, you know, everyone was doing cigarettes while I was, you know, doing a bong or doing joints or something like that. So it was uh, it was something that progressively got worse and worse over time. And I probably wouldn't – it's a bit hard to talk about addiction when it comes to uh, weed because it's – Yeah, it's you know, more you, more like a habit. Out. It's just a habitual yeah. rather than an actual yeah, exactly physical right. addiction. Yeah, um, and then when I started to sort of get into, you know, pills and, um, you know, I started to do, you know, a lot of other stuff that, um, you know, really put me in the zone of, you know, that out-of-body experience and not being really in control of what I'm able to do. You know, a lot of people that have smoked marijuana before know that, yeah, you're reasonably in control. You know, you sort of go into a different sort of time zone for a little bit there, but you're reasonably in control of your thoughts um, of, uh, of what you're doing, where you are. But when you start doing, um, you know, stuff like cocaine and speed and, and methamphetamines and stuff like that, that's when you really get off the rails and you don't really know where you are. You don't know who you are. Um, you lose all sort of um, ide- ideology of, of how to act and how to treat people, how to treat yourself. Yeah, um, and is and that partly as well that you're, you're doing that at the time because you're trying to get away from that reality? Um, rather than deal with, you know, who you are, were you conscious of that, or was it something that you know you just did it and then it ended up going that way for a time? Yeah, I just did it. I think there was, there was no real motivation to do it um, until I became addicted. You know, there was the motivation from the start was this is the cool thing to do, yeah, um, and this is what my mates are doing. So let's just, you know, it, it, same same now. If I do something, I try and do it the, the hardest. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I wasn't just going to do a couple of pills here and there. And I think there, part, I of, part, of, part of this time for you as well, you had people in your life, you know, teachers and some others outside of that saying that, you know, you're no good and you're never going to be shit. Um, do you feel like you took that on and sort of uh, had a, a point to prove in that, okay, people are telling me that I'm, I'm nothing, I'm not going to be anything, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be the baddest ladder can sort of was that the mindset yeah yeah absolutely was yeah there was um there was definitely a you know i, I did have a lot of teachers that told me you know you're going to be absolutely no good and um you, you're never going to sort of amount to everything i had people that were closest to me you know family members that um at the time i thought i was pretty cool but you know i had some of my cousins and and um and uncles and all that sort of stuff that they used to call me like the rebel of the family and the 
Um, you know, if you've got any issues, just go to Sean. He'll sort it out with all his mates. Yeah. At the time, I was like, oh, yeah, fuck you. Yeah, I'm, the, I'm the tough cousin. <laughs> but in hindsight, I'm like, that's pretty fucked up. Like, yeah. I was this, this – Because uh, it's painting you into a corner. Show. And it's sort of like, yeah. in a way, I mean, your, your ego doesn't care whether it's good or it's bad. You're getting given that identity and, you know, feeding that's going to feel good or feel like, you know, that's how you're supposed to be, even though it's massively negative for your life. But when you're so young, you don't really have any way of changing that or knowing where that's going to lead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And I, um, yeah, I was pretty proud of that. And then I... You know, think back five or ten years later, I'm like, well, that's probably not something to, to be proud of. Yeah. Um. You know, my cousins were were you know they were sort of private school boys and and stuff like that, and I was off to this school that obviously wasn't a private school. Um. And you know, I wasn't in school at all. They're getting really good education. I'm off, you know, doing drugs and doing doing whatever I could to um to get those drugs. You know, committing crimes and um you know driving around in stolen cars all day yeah. and, and all that sort of shit so and you got um, that you got a bit of a rep in the community and with the with the cops a bit yeah yeah so that that came um a little bit later that's when i started um you know doing my personal training business i started doing a pt when i was about 18 years of age um and i finished my my certificate in personal training and um i worked in a few gyms around around ballarat and then i decided to to start my own business and this all all came from the idea of you know being told that i was never going to be anything and um you know being told that i was just that person that was just always going to struggle through everything always going to struggle with addiction always going to struggle with um you know constantly being in fights or being in trouble with the law um i thought well let's start a business and and um prove people wrong to a mm-hmm. point you know do this and, and it's going to be easy and it's going to work out and i had no idea that uh it was going to be really fucking hard to to start a business especially yeah. at 18 um at the know, time really did it did it trainer. did it feel like you were trying to prove others wrong or you're trying to prove yourself right that you know deep down you didn't think you were worthless underneath it all and that you know perhaps that wasn't going to be the narrative for you was it about that or was it very much a sort of a uh, chip on your shoulder, you know, fuck you, you're wrong, and I'm going to do everything to make you eat your words. Yeah, at the time, at the, at the time, it was definitely prove other people wrong. Um, and it took me, you know, three to four years to really realize that it, it's there's nothing to do with that. It's all to do with proving yourself right. Um, and that's a motto that I live with every single day. You know, if I set myself a, uh, a goal or a task or something about to achieve, it's it's always about proving yourself right. Um, and you know, I've got clients who come to me every single day that say, Oh, look, um, you know, this, this, this person said that I can't run a half marathon or I can't run a full marathon. So I'm going to prove them wrong. Yeah. Um, I said, well, hold up. Let's not do that because even when you do it, they're not going to give a shit. They're not going to change their opinion of you. Yeah. You're going to do this and then you're going to say, fuck yeah, I knew that I could do that. Yeah. I've smashed it off and I'm going to do it because again. Because that's the ultimate um, lesson, isn't it? We have to have that intrinsic motivation. That's the only way to actually stick to something uh, and stay with the process. Anytime you hear anyone talk about being totally externally motivated, you know that it's in the wrong place or it's not coming from where it needs to come from and then it's not going to last because the people who you're trying to prove wrong, they never really care. In your mind, you think, because you're living in your little bubble where, you know, it's all about me in this world and everyone else is thinking about me all the time. But in reality, no one really gives a fuck that much except for like your your close family or you. 
Um, so learning that lesson that, yeah, it's actually about what you need to do for yourself so that you can be a, a more effective human. But that, that can be a, a tough lesson to learn for people perhaps when they, they achieve a goal and then realize, you know, they saw a mountain in the distance and they got there and it was a pile of rocks and you've got to do that a few times before you realize that actually it's all about what comes from within. Yeah, yeah, absolutely spot on. Yeah, it's it's a crazy sort of reality to think about, and it took me so so many so many years to um, really understand that. Especially being um, you know self employed and and owning a business, you know you, there is so much pressure when you start a business to to do well and to do everything right. Um, and I was in a really small regional town um, in Ballarat, and you know I was I was doing most things right. I thought they were the right things because I was, you know, I was going pretty well in the business. I was, um, you know, getting a lot of clients. I was, you know, 19, 20 years of age. I was making pretty good money. And there's no um, real blueprint either. The there's no real blueprint for you. And I've, I've started my own business as well. Um, but especially for you at that age in, in that town where you're going against the grain, you know, most people are assume are going out and getting a, a normal job or a trade or what you'd call a normal job. And then here's this young kid deciding that, no, he's going to do his own thing, break away from that. And then, there's a lot of pressure in that itself because people, you know, you got to really believe in yourself because other people are going to say, oh, there's no way he can do that, especially when you're coming from the, the reputation that you had. Yeah, absolutely right. And, you know, all my mates went and got trades and, um, you know, went and got sort of, uh, you know, nine to five or full-time jobs. Um, and then there was me that was, that was training people in the morning, training people at night and sitting at home all day. So um, I was definitely sort of the odd one out. And that was really scary. You know, I had all my, all my mates that were making you know, weekly, really good money. And I was sort of on and off, you know, if I had a really good week, I'd be all right. Um, and then some weeks would have a really, really shit week. So, and that was just, that was running around business. That was personal training back in the day. Um, again, I had no idea what I was doing. I just sort of jumped into it and just gave it my best crack. Yeah. Um, and yeah, look, I, there was many times where I thought, you know, fuck this, I don't want to do this. I'll just go and get a, a trade or get an apprenticeship, get a, a full-time job. That way I know I'm, I'm going to have a weekly wage coming in every single week um but there was this there was that chip on my shoulder i thought no keep going keep going keep going uh whether it takes one year two year three years um something has to come from this because you love doing it uh you, you know you enjoy doing it every single day um i had a conversation with someone yesterday actually i, I worked in the gym all day yesterday and they said oh you know it's a it's a public holiday shouldn't you be away shouldn't you be this shouldn't you be that and i said um you ask one self-employed person if they have public holidays off and I guarantee you they'll, they'll say no um, only because they love what they do you know they, they absolutely love their, their profession their job their career um, and you know public holiday Christmas day New Year's day whatever it might be um, if they've got a chance to, to do what they love they're going to do it just like everybody else mm. so um, I had that passion to keep going with personal training and with fitness um, and you know I kept pursuing it and this was going through a time, you know, 1920, I was still hitting the drugs pretty hard. So, yeah. you know, five days a week I was a PT, I was all half conscious. Um, and then two days a week I was a, I was a drug addict. Which, and, uh, which and makes it real so. hard to uh, rock up on uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. <laughs> Absolutely. It does. Yeah, there was, there was a few Monday mornings where I'd rock up and, uh, yeah, I'd either still be going from the weekend or I'd, uh, I'd just be really unhealthy and I'd have to sort of, you know, try and cover that up and, and yeah. be that motivating, healthy trainer. It's, not, it's, it's not good for business and it's it's not an easy thing to hide as well. And then you know that you're living at odds with yourself because on one hand, you know, you're living this the fitness lifestyle and being that guy and then you're being a, a bit of a train wreck the, the rest of the time. 
Um, what snapped yeah. you out of that? Yeah, so on my uh, on my twentieth birthday, I, um, I again going through the motions five days a week, solid PT two days a week on the drugs, and I um, I went out in Ballarat on my twentieth birthday, um, and got absolutely you know just wiped myself off. Um, I was at one pub, I got in a fight at that pub, um, and I went to another pub, um, and I sort of initiated a fight, and then I was walking down the street and and obviously the word, word got around that there was this absolute dickhead that was walking around different pubs and trying to start fights. Um, so me walking to another pub, got pulled over by the cops um, and I thought I could take on five cops. I could not. <laughs> I, uh, I definitely haven't, you know, fighting chance. So uh, I got arrested that night. Um, it was a pretty sort of, from what I can remember, um, you know, I, I'd, I tried to put up a pretty good fight with these cops because I had this, you know, this all this uh, adrenaline running through my body. I had all these drugs running through my body. Um, so apparently I went absolutely crazy and I was pretty injured. You know, I had scars all over my face. I yeah. had bro- broken knuckles, all that sort of stuff. Pretty hectic. Um, it was, yeah, it was absolutely brutal. But yeah, I got I got locked up that night, spent, spent the night in the cells. Um, very, very lucky I didn't get charged with anything. Um, but uh, they just put it down to he's absolutely blind drunk. They put me in the cells. Um, the next morning, I uh, I had to call mum and, and say, hey, can you come pick me up from the from the Ballarat police station? That was one of the hardest calls I've ever had to make. Um, and the the next probably six weeks after that were absolutely brutal. Um, again, living in a, a reasonably small town, word gets around really quick. Um, and the boy went around, you know, Sean from, from Seanway Fitness was arrested Sunday, uh, Saturday night. He was on drugs. He was blind. He was trying to fight cops. He, he got in heaps of fights. Um, it turned out one of the cops that arrested me was actually one of my clients. Um, Not so, for long. Uh, I definitely lost him as a client. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, it was it got around really, really quick, and, you know, I was getting phone calls daily from from members and clients and saying, hey, look, I don't think we should train anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I was getting cancellations. I, I lost so much, you know, 80% of my business from from one night. So, sure. yeah, um, it was it was just absolutely brutal. So, I guess really, that sort really of that sort of showed you, like, that, that it is serious and it does actually have consequences because – I suppose you spend a lot of that period in your life and I was sort of the same at certain stages where you just get away with stuff a lot. Like you're just sort of lucky and then occasionally you're not and it, and it makes a difference. But um, like you said, you know, at least you didn't get charged and then from there you started to sort of limit that behavior a bit more. Was this also the time in your life where you, you had that really difficult period and sort of couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel for, for a little while? Yeah, it was. And I think most of that was, was motivated through the amount of, um, you know, shit I was getting up to. And this night really triggered, um, you know, my mental health to really, really decline. You know, I, I lost all confidence in myself um, when it comes to running a business. I obviously lost, you know, 80% of my business. So, um, you know, I, I had no money. I had no career anymore. You know, I'd worked so hard for, for, for the three years before that to build this this name and this business uh, for myself. Um, and one night on the piss and on the drugs had absolutely destroyed it all. So um, mental health really declined. You know, I I was um, already suffering, you know, I was, I was on medication for depression. Um, but after this, it, uh, it really did spiral. And I didn't, um, I didn't actually hit grog or drugs again after that for about 
it was almost a year. Um, I, I tried to sort of stay clean. You know, I'd have maybe one or two beers every every now and then, or if we were having a celebration or something like that, I'd have a have, have a couple of beers. But I never went out. Um, I never got absolutely sloshed. I never, uh, you know, tried to wipe myself off, and I didn't touch any drugs. So did that mean um, uh, losing like, friends? Yeah, a lot to do with, um, you know, I just sort of tried to take control of, of my own actions a little bit more. And um, I think, you know, when I got home from the police station that day, um, that was probably something that my mum said to me. And, and she knew that I had a little bit more in me. Um, she's always been my big supporter. And she just looked at me and said, this isn't, this isn't all you have to offer. Um, she used to tell me that all the time. And that was a big wake-up call for me to say, all right, well, this isn't the real me. I need to get my shit together, cut the shit out, um, and, uh, you know, try and find the real me. And I tried to do that, but over the next 12 months, you know, mental health really declined. I, um, you know, went through stages where I wouldn't talk to anybody. You know, I cut everybody off. Um, I lost relationships with friends, with family. Um, you know, myself and my best mate just stopped being mates. You know, we, we used to spend every day together for the four, four or five years before that. Um, and we just stopped talking. And I got to a point where, you know, I didn't want to be here anymore. And I, I made the decision that, you know, if, if I was going to go out anyway, it would be through suicide. Um, and it's, it's really, it's a really unique feeling when you, when you're going through this because you don't really see anything else. Um, and it feels so uh, normal to be thinking like that. And that's exactly what I went through. I went through these stages where, you know, I'd sit there comfortably thinking about, you know, how I would take my own life. And there was, there was absolutely nothing else in the world that could change my mind about that. Um, and it wasn't scary at all. I wasn't scared. I was, I was if anything, I was really, really calm. Um, and, you know, in hindsight, that's probably the scariest thing about it. But yeah. It was, and gives really you gives you a real a real deep understanding of what people go through because I think um, if you haven't experienced it yourself, hearing it described in that way would be very unnerving or, or shocking for people uh, to think that people get in that sort of head headspace. But it does make sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's really unnerving, and you know, I, I remember times where um, you know I was in Melbourne one day uh, at a um, at a hotel, pretty high rise hotel, and. Um, I was with a friend and, you know, they were like, oh, look at the view. That's such a great view from our veranda. And the first thing I thought of, the very first thing I thought of was, this would be a good place to do it. You know, just go straight over the edge. It was almost like I was writing a list. You know, I was writing a list of all these things that I could do. Um, I wasn't thinking about anyone else. I wasn't thinking, oh, my God, imagine if mum got a phone call that I had jumped off the top of a hotel. I wasn't thinking about my brothers, about, about my father, none of that crap. I was just thinking about, this is the best way to do it. Mm. Um, and, you know, it got to a point where I started to fight back a little bit. I thought, no, there's definitely more to life. Um, you know, it's going to get better. I just got to keep going. You got to keep going. Um, and then the next week I'll be back at it. And this is when I really, really started to realize that I was going through some absolute, um, you know, really, really bad mental health issues. Um, and I started to seek a little bit more help. You know, I started to see a psychologist. Um, I started to reach out to my father. My father suffered uh, depression for you know half of his life, um, so I started to reach out to him a little bit, and um, it seemed to help a little bit that I was talking about it. You know, I was getting to the point where I couldn't talk uh, to my to my family, and my friends, and um, and close relatives. But you know, that unfortunately isn't the only 
um, solution to getting yourself on top of all of this. Um, and, you know, I, I went to a few other things that really affected it. And again, found myself back at, you know, essentially back at square one. And there was uh, the last, the last big moment that was a real game change for me was, uh, was when I used to, you know, I used to go for, for Sunday drives. You know, I used to get in my car and just go for a drive. I'd go to Melbourne, I'd go to Geelong, to Bendigo, wherever. I would just get in the car. I'd play some music by myself every single Sunday and I'd just drive. I could be gone for, you know, 12 hours. Um, it was just my way of getting out of everything. Um, you know, it was a pretty peaceful time for me. And at the same time, it was a really scary time because, again, I was back at that point where I was looking at things and looking at place and thinking, well, it'd be a really good place to do it. Yeah, um, and yeah, and you really and you're being place. left left alone with your own mind, which is often the most dangerous place to be. Really dangerous, yeah, absolutely. Um, and there was one day where you know I I went out to a bush that is very close to uh, to Ballarat here, and um, I was I was at a really really low point in my life. You know, there was really I, I couldn't see a future back for my business, and that was my life that I'd built. Um, you know, I wasn't seeing anyone. Um, I felt like I was, you know, didn't have any friends, I didn't have any family, didn't have any support left because I just pushed them all away. And um, I was out in this bush and parked my car in this sort of open area and um, I saw a, uh, a big, you know, sort of oak tree about 40 metres away and um, I just lined the car up and I thought, all right, this is it. And, uh, yeah, that's what I did. I just I put my foot down and, and I went, you know, pretty bloody quick through this bush. Um, I was heading straight towards the tree. I closed my eyes and I felt this massive crash at the front of the car. And uh, I sort of, you know, when I, when I hit the crash, I sort of tried to, it's almost instinct to try and correct yourself with the wheel and correct myself and slam the brakes on. Um, I opened my eyes and I was sort of going through some shrubbery and I was sort of on the edge of something there. And uh, I thought, what's going on here? You know, I was I was pretty straight through the tree, and I got out of the car. And this is the funny thing about a really fucked up story: is I got out of the car, and uh, the first thing I did was make sure my car wasn't scratched. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I'm I'm making sure my car isn't scratched. I was just about to total it. Um, but what had actually happened is I was heading towards this tree, and about two meters before the tree, there was a, a ditch that was under bushes. Um, and my left wheel had hit the ditch and it bounced me off and pushed me straight into bushes, um, which, you know, in hindsight, you can call it a miracle, you can call it fate, you can call it, um, you know, a, just a really bloody good accident. But whatever it was, it was it was a massive wake-up call for me that uh, there's something else that I need to be doing with my life. There's, there's more that I should be doing. Um, and you know, I got into the car. My car was scratched, by the way. That's fucked up. Um, it was a new car too, so I was pretty pissed off about that. Um, so I got back in my car. You know, I got out of the bushes. I've cried for about three hours, and I, I wrote down all my feelings in this uh, on this old piece of paper that was in my car. And um, you know, I promised myself that that was a day that I was going to, you know, start seeking help again, and um, I was going to start to look after myself, and I was going to make something of my life and um you know from then i've i've created my own paths and it hasn't been easy you know there's obviously still there's still days which are really really shit um but i uh i built my business back up again you know i started the, the personal training again i 
I started doing what I loved. I got completely off drugs, haven't touched drugs since. Um, and I, uh, I started to find myself again. You know, I started to find a path that I wanted to stick on. Um, and since then, I've, I've, I've created a business where I've, um, I've now got four gyms around Victoria. Um, and, you know, I'm doing personal training, obviously doing all the gyms, all the members and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I absolutely love to do it. And, you know, that's, that's probably where the Shaka Project came in, where we, we created, uh, you know, a lot of events in our gyms to, to raise awareness for mental health. And um, my biggest motivator to talk about my own mental health, my own story is because I went through, you know, the ages of 16 to 20, I was that big tough guy that would always be in fights and never talk about his feelings. Um, again, with all the tattoos, you know, I had these tattoos when I was, when I was uh, you know, pretty young. So everyone sort of looked at me as this sort of tough, gritty guy. Um, and I wanted to be that tough, gritty guy that got up and, um, spoke to all his mates and said, "Hey guys, I, I cry nearly every single day, and I'm I'm really not doing okay." Um, and you know that's pretty much how I started the Shaka Project, and and ever since then, you know that was that was almost two years ago. It's uh, it's completely changed my life. Do you remember the first time you did open up to your mates? It was actually one of my girl mates, and and she's I'm still friends with her now. We've been we've been friends since uh, since year seven, and she. Um, She's always supported me through, uh, you know, through high school, and she saw me throughout all all of high school go through the highs and lows. Um, you know, rock up the school high on drugs. Um, you know, rock up the school in absolute hystericals because I was hallucinating and all that sort of shit. And she supported me the entire way through. And then at the end of high school, you know, I sat her down and said, "Look, this is all mental health. This is." I'm, I'm really struggling through this. There was uh, there wasn't any sort of social media around then besides you know Facebook had just started. Um, there wasn't anything that we have today. You know there wasn't anything that you could reach out to, or um, there wasn't probably the amount of attention on mental health back then than there is now. Oh no way! Uh, which is obviously a great thing. Um, so it was really, really uh, sort of a bit of a shock to her. She didn't really know how to act and how to react to it. Um, but it was something that was really big for me and it was, I was able to sort of talk to her about that. Um, and then with my sort of guy mates and my, my group, group of mates, you know, starting to do stuff in the gym like mental health awareness um, events, you know, that started the conversation a little bit. Um, and everyone sort of had the idea that, you know, I was pretty passionate about mental health and, and um, you know, always wanted to raise money and awareness. But I never really had that conversation until I started the Shaka Project and, um, I sort of spilled the beans on, on everything. I pretty much told you a story that I just told you. Um, and, you know, from then, the amount of blokes in my life that have come out and said, you know, I suffered pretty much the same thing. I went through the same thoughts. You know, I've, I've felt that way. I felt that calmness um, that you feel just before you, you want to commit suicide. Um, I'm so glad that I'm not the only one. I'm so glad that um, I can come and talk to you whenever, whenever I'm feeling like shit or we're feeling like that again. And, um, you know, every, every single day I, I got off the phone about 20 minutes ago to a mate um, that just said, hey, can I give you a bell? And he's going through some shitty times. Um, and we just had a chat for, for five or 10 minutes. So every day now I'm, I'm chatting to my mates about their mental health and checking in with them. Um, mates are checking in with me. It's just, uh, it's been an absolute game changer. And what does the Shaka represent? So the, the story behind the uh, the actual shaka is um, my uh, my seven year old stepson. He he's my best little mate. You know, I've I've been in his life since uh, since he was six months old. Six months old, 
And, um, you know, we've always sort of been, you know, bros and, and hung out and all that sort of stuff. And I took him to the, uh, to the playground a few years ago and, um, you know, any sort of parent would know that if, if, you know, the kid comes off a slide or something like that, um, it's sort of like a flip the coin moment, whether you need to really go over and check if they're okay. <laughs> and, um, I sort of, I was about, you know, 25, 30 meters away and he, he came off the slide and, you know, he went ass over tip. And uh, fell off the slide, and I thought, oh, shit, I have to go over there. Is he all right? And um, he he stood up from the slide, and he put his hand up and threw a shaker at me, and I threw a shaker back, and he just kept on playing. And it was almost like a, yep, all good, I'm all right, and just kept on playing. And I thought, well, that's a really cool way that we communicated without necessarily using words. And that's the entire backstory of why we use a shaker, because that's exactly what we want to do. We want men to be able to communicate and start that conversation, um, except for going up, up to a bloke in the street and saying, hey, mate, I've got depression. You know, I can see a bloke with a Shaka T-shirt on and automatically think that this guy is empathetic, he's understanding about mental health. If I'm in shit, I can go and chat to him. Mm. Um, and that's what we want everyone else to think as well. You know, we I had a, a, a person send me a photo. Um, he's from Ballarat and he's down in, um, in Geelong or in Torquay area at the moment and uh, he was at a cafe and there was a girl behind the counter wearing a Shaka t-shirt and he said automatically you know the first thing I thought of is either her or someone in her life has suffered mental health um, or you know maybe unfortunately has suffered a loss of suicide um, so that's someone straight away that if I'm feeling like shit I can go and communicate with and talk with um, or if they see me wearing the Shaka stuff they can come up and, and talk to me as well and, yeah you know, if you're sitting around a group of mates all drinking a, a couple of beers and there's three blokes there that are all wearing shaka gear and you're shuffling a, a pretty shitty time, you can say, hey, boys, can we go have a chat? Yeah. You know, it's it's that permission slip and that break in the ice um, that we're really passionate about. And yeah. we think that the shaka really does uh, represent that. Yeah, man, how good is that? And what have you seen it do for people, for blokes especially? I think, you know... I think the biggest thing we've seen is just being, you know, comfortable wearing it. I think it's such a brave thing to be able to wear the shaka in public because of what I just said, you know, like you're pretty much telling the whole world that know about the shaka, hey guys, I've got mental health issues or I, I support mental health issues. Mm. Um, and five years ago, you wouldn't wear a hat that says I've got depression on it or I've got mental health issues. But now if someone knows about the shaka and they see you walking down the street with a shaka jumper on, you know, they're not going to say, oh, shit, that bloke over there is not very well. You know, he's a pussy, he doesn't, he's, a, he's got mental health issues. He's going to think, holy shit, that guy's like me. You know, he's 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 exactly like me. I've got a Shaka stuff. I love the, the Shaka project. That guy's, um, you know, he might be the toughest looking bloke in the world, but have a look at him, he's wearing a Shaka. Yeah, it really is a beautiful thing because you are, you're redefining what it is to be a man and you're giving people uh, and men permission to be who they really are and actually say, hey, this is the manliest thing you can do. This is actually the toughest thing that you can do uh, that makes you the best friend, the best father, the best son, the best partner to actually say to the world, uh, here I am and I'm not perfect and neither are you and that's all right, but let's talk about it rather than just put on a front and, and pretend like it's all good until tragedy strikes. You know, and it's just, it's such a simple way of doing it, but it's so effective and it's so good because men are simple creatures as well. You know, um, all it is, is just that simple. It's just that speak if you want, listen if you want, but just know that, you know, 
this is a safe space and you're not going to have it thrown back in your face. And that can take a long time for people to, to warm to that and maybe see other people in their life start to come to it and then slowly brings them out of their shells. But it's just such a great way to do it because it's not forcing anything. It's just saying like, you know, it's all right. And it's, it's so good, man. I really love what you guys do. Yeah, no, thank you, man. I really appreciate that. It's, um, it is, it really is simple because it is just a logo. Um, as just sort of that idea of, you know, if you're doing okay, shack a, you know, chuck a shacker up. Yeah. Um, you know, we have Friday check-ins, which are on our Instagram every single Friday. We, we have a, um, a check-in. So we put up like our, our question box and, you know, people can go get in there and they can write whatever they want. They can be open about their life. You know, we obviously keep it all private. Um, you know, if people reach out and say, look, I'm not doing okay, we try and get in touch with them. Um, and it's such a simple thing to be able to, to just to throw in the shacker and have that Friday check-in. Um, and we want that to be able to sort of, um, you know, go through every single day. And, you know, if you haven't talked to a mate in a while, if you haven't talked to a family member, you know, male and female, um, then, you know, send them a shaka. You know, I've got a friend that sends me a shaka every couple of days and that's all I say. And yeah. I send a shaka It's easy to do. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. Men love the efficiency as well of that. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, we're lazy. Men are lazy as fuck. So <laughs> if, we, um, if we can just throw a shaka up and just be done with it, then, um, then I think we'll do that for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, we, we've got a cafe here in Ballarat that uh, I, I had a friend message me and they walked into a cafe wearing a shaka and um, the guy behind the counter uh, that was serving him, he said, oh, Friday check-in, all good. So he goes in there every single Friday now, gets his coffee um, and has a chat to this barista and they just yeah. check in with each other and, and then they leave. They don't even know each other. So that's that's absolutely awesome. You know, that's exactly what we're going for. Yeah, that's so cool. How do you feel when you see people wearing wearing this now? You know, what, oh, what, what does it mean to you? Just amazing. You know, it, was, um, it started off as an idea that, um, I can get my my mates involved with and, and something that we could just do regional. Um, but it has, it's honest, it's grown all around Australia. You know, we've got all this sitting next to me here from New South Wales, Western Australia. Um, there's one from London in there, um, you know, all around the country. And it's just incredible that there's so many men and women that will um, proudly wear the shaka and proudly announce to the world that they either have mental health issues, they support someone with mental health issues, um, they may have lost someone, um, you know, they may be struggling or they may have overcome. So it's uh, it's absolutely incredible. And, you know, when I see someone in public wearing it, I'll get the little, you know, the little giddies and, um, you know, I'll, uh, I'll always go up and, and, you know, ask for a photo and stuff like that, which is yeah. which is really, really cool for me. And, um, you know, it's just such an amazing uh, idea that this small idea that I got just to have, um, you know, with my mates has, has grown to, to affect so many people. And, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's our proudest achievement, just to be able to reach more and more people. Yeah, and the transformation in you as well from uh, from a young man who thought that the way to go was to be, you know, the the hard nut, you know, sick cunt who's going to be like the maddest dog out there and who's bringing all this negativity to your own life and others without necessarily um, meaning to, but just not knowing another way and boxing yourself into a corner because people told you that's where you were supposed to belong. And then um, luckily living through that very difficult period you went through and, and swinging fully to the other side of the spectrum, uh, 
you know, thank goodness you did, man, because it's just, you know, you've ended up being such a, a blessing for, for so many and, and definitely have had such a role to play and will continue to. So, you know, it must be kind of mind blowing to think back that, you know, not that long ago, I know you're a bit older now, probably like late twenties now, but you know, we're talking 10 years ago or less, you know, eight years ago that you were a very different man thinking that you didn't have a place in the world and now you're changing it. You know, it's unreal. Yeah, that's no, that's that's exactly right. And I, I, that's exactly how I was thinking. You know, in my twenties, I thought I was just going to be this kid that you know did what I needed to do, got through life, and that was it. You know, that, that there wasn't that wasn't anything else to it. And then when I went through all this, um, all these issues, and you know, all this you know suicide, um, you know, um, awareness sort of stuff throughout my early twenties and and stuff like that, I was, you know, just thinking there's got to be something more that you know, is for my life. And I, w- I didn't have anyone tell me that there was anything more besides my mum. And that's why I was probably so, um, you know, confident in trying to prove her right as well. And, um, but yeah, look, I, I look back now and, and and think back, you know, if, if I hit that tree that day or if I went off that hotel balcony, um, you know, firstly, I wouldn't have the kids that I've got now and, and they're my absolute life. And that scares the fuck out of me that, you know, I could have missed all of that. Um, because just, you know, spending time with them is better than, than anything else in the world. Um, and again, you know, being, we get, you know, getting messages every day from blokes that are, um, you know, on the out, outside hard as fuck. And then on the inside are messaging us saying, you know, I'm in, I'm in real strife and, you know, you guys are really, really helping me out with the amount of content you put out and, um, or I listen to your podcast. I'm so glad I'm not the only one, all that sort of stuff. Um, this makes me think, you know, if a drug addict ex fuckwit can, uh, can have that small effect on people, um, then I'm really, really glad that uh, that one I missed a tree, and two I kept going and, and kept striving forward and and kept trying to do what I wanted to do, and that was to to tell more blokes that you know you can be hard as fuck on the outside, but it doesn't matter. You know you, we're all built the same on the inside, and it's totally okay to to not be okay. It's okay to feel shit. Um, and it's okay to, you know, cry and, and want to talk about your feelings yeah. and, and express your mental health. And now when you see people acting out like that, you, your first thought is, you know, who who hurt you or like what, yeah. what's going on underneath because that all comes from pain, all that all that anger and fury and lashing out, that all comes from pain, um, which you experienced and I've experienced and, and all of us do it at some point, but you've managed to, to harness it and, and turn it into something that's... Um, that's a beautiful thing um and why are you here on earth now what do you see as as your purpose going forward as a starting to become an older man and and a father um moving out of that those younger years into sort of you know the prime of your life yeah so i think um you know we're we're really obviously progressing through um the shaka project and we just rented a um another office building for the Shaka. So we're really trying to expand as much as we can so we can you know, do events and whole community stuff there. And um, so we're sort of trying to take that to the next level at the moment. And the main reason for that, the main reason I want to continue doing that is so my kids in five, 10, 15 years um, can go tell their mates, look at what my uh, dad made and created, look at what my mum and dad created that, um, you know, they can go to school and talk to their mates about mental health at the age of 15, 16, 17, 18, which are the peak years where we should be talking about yeah. um, mental health issues 
you know, to, to school-aged children. Um, and that's exactly what I want. I want the kids to be able to grow up in a world where they can go to their mates and say, hey, I'm not doing okay. Um, you know, my father, your parents probably grew up in a, in a world where feelings didn't matter. You know, you just, um, if you were feeling upset or depressed, you, you got on with it. You know, just keep you, it to you yourself. It off, but, yep. um, you know, now we live in a, such a different world where, you know, it is okay um, to speak up. There's obviously a lot more work we need to do, but um, we're starting to progress into a world of that. And then I believe in the next 10, 15, 20 years where my kids are, start to get to my age, um, hopefully they can be doing the same thing I'm doing. Um, hopefully they can be able to, to talk to their mates. You know, I'm not going to say that they're not going to go through issues and that's what I've told them as well. You know, you're going to go through your teenage years and you will get upset, you will get depressed, you will get, um, you know, times in your life where you, you, you know, you're completely lost and you don't want to, you sort of don't know where to go next. But if there's places that they can go and if there's, there's people they can talk to and resources they can, reach out to um then i think that's the best legacy that that i can leave so um i want to hit you know a million australian men within the next 10 years um and be able to reach out so we can we can save some blokes for sure yeah and then they're going to grow up in a, a different world and their kids as well and it's generational change that we're talking about but like you said earlier you know this wasn't around when when you were going through it and uh, we've already come a long way and it's just about adding all those voices together and it's a it's a gradual thing but um nothing to it but to do it i suppose in, in terms of Absolutely. just continuing to push out that sort of content and that message and that um you know you don't have to start your own movement uh to be part of it but you're big on and I'm big on, you know, be that bloke in your friendship group who, you know, after you've talked about the footy or whatever, you're the one who says, you know, so how's everyone actually going, you know, which can be a scary thing for people to do, but you be that one who steps up and says that, you know, until everyone's wearing shackers, whether that's uh, in reality or, or metaphorically, you know, be be that person to step up in your own life and, and watch the, the ripple effect that that has. And that's what, what you guys are all about, which I really respect so much. Uh, on that as well, can you just um, talk about the the break the ice challenge that you mentioned on your your podcast? Be a good thing to to finish on for people to think about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So the break the ice challenge is um, is being that mate in your group of mates that um, starts and ignites that conversation about mental health. And there's so many ways that we can do it, but there's so many amazing effects from from breaking the ice. And um, you know one. Uh, example that I push a lot is, you know, texting all your mates, whether it be three mates, two mates, one mate, 10 mates, whoever it might be, and say, hey, boys, come around. We're going to watch some footy, watch some cricket, um, you know, have a barbecue, watch, have a few beers, all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, when, when they get there, you know, have, have a few beers on the table, have the cricket on, have the footy on, and say, boys, before we start, what I want to do, 10 minutes, I want to, want to go around the room, and I just want to talk about, you know, what we're going through. I want to talk about our mental health. And it's going to be the most comfortable conversation you will ever have in that first five minutes. You know, it's going to be a moment where um, it makes or breaks the evening, uh, where it makes or breaks, you know, what happens in the next hour. Um, but that little bit of discomfort for the first few minutes can have an amazing effect on not only yourself, but your group of mates. Um, and the effect isn't going to be instant. You know, you're not going to have everyone go, oh, yep, yeah, okay, no worries. So this is what I'm going through. Um, I'm going through this shit, this, 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 this. I'm feeling really crappy. Um, you may have a few mates to do that, but I guarantee you'll have mates that say absolutely nothing and say, no, nah, I'm not all good, no stress. Um, but I guarantee also that the next day, the next morning, 
you'll have messages from a few different mates saying, hey, mate, you know, I didn't say anything last night, but really appreciated you talking about, you know, your mental health last night that made me feel really comfortable and um, I'm actually struggling. You know, I'm actually going through some shit. And straight away, you've broken the ice. You know, you've broken the ice when it comes to talking about mental health. Um, and automatically, those, those guys that were at that barbecue, whatever it might be, um, they know that you're the bloke that they can go to to, uh, to talk about mental health. And, you know, the bloke that spoke up and said, oh, yeah, I've actually struggled a fair bit, he's now a bloke that they can go to. Um, and straight away, you, you've, you've created three or four or five connections where blokes know that they are not alone. Blokes know that they can go through some shit. They can talk to their mates about it. Um, and next time they go grab a beer, you know, except for talking about the footy or talking about the cricket, they can say, hey, look, I'm actually struggling. You know, I'm going through this shit at work. Um, you know, I'd really like to talk about it. So it just changes the narrative a little bit. Um, I guarantee you that it'll, it'll make your friendship a lot stronger. You know, I've got mates that I used to be mates with a long time ago that your typical mates, we caught up, we got blind together. We had, you know, you know, deep and meaningful conversations 12 beers in when we we're, you know, at two o'clock in the morning that went absolutely nowhere. Um, and now those same mates, you know, I'd, I'll catch up with the, with for a beer and we all we do is, you know, talk about ourselves and talk about some shit we're going through and we ask each other if we're doing okay. We have phone calls every week, you know, send each other shackers, all that sort of stuff. And it's just such a better friendship. There's no fake, uh, you know, I'll be right, mate. I'll be fine. There's just authenticity when it comes to, you know, hey, mate, I'm doing really shit. Can you come around and have a beer with me? And it's something that I did with a mate literally two days ago. You know, he texted me the exact same thing. He'd just gone through a relationship breakdown. Um, and he said, hey, if you're not, if you're not um, doing anything, can you come around and have a chat? Bring a few beers, we'll, we'll watch a cricket. So really simple things like that. I was able to go over, we are able to sort of chat about everything, go through some stuff, and then we're able to watch the cricket as well. So yeah. breaking the ice is such a simple thing to – it's a, such a simple idea. Um, it's a pretty tough thing to start and to – um, to really sort of initiate through your group of mates, but at the end of the day, it's gonna um, it's gonna create such a strong relationship with you and your mates. It's gonna create such a strong connection as well, and it's gonna ignite that conversation with you with yourself. Mm. And this is something that everyone's thinking about. You know, it's on it's on every young bloke's mind to a certain degree. We're all going through a lot of stuff, so it's not like it's not gonna be relevant to people. Um, but we're, we're also not saying that, all right, from now on, you have to be this intense mental health bloke who's always asking people about their feelings and having to go uh, do DMs every time you hang out with people because that's a bit much as well. It's just, you know, you're still the same bloke as you were before. You're still having like the beers and the catch up and, and talking a whole lot of shit. But it's like, yeah, but we can also talk about some real stuff. And Absolutely, that's, you yeah, know, that's what sure. it's about sick man all right thanks so much sean um yeah just really respect you as an individual and uh huge fan of of what the shaka project's all about and uh really admire how you guys have been able to grow that and affect so many people's lives that really makes such a difference man so uh yeah thanks for what you do bro thanks so much for having me really appreciate it if you're a fan of the work we're doing or have a suggestion for the show, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment. You can follow Young Blood Men's Health Matters on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and visit our website, youngbloodmedia.com.au, to stay up to date. And most importantly, if this conversation resonated with you, share it with someone you love and start a conversation of your own. A huge thank you to our local business supporters who've joined our mission to change the lives of young men for the better and help make this possible. 
We're all in it together. This is Youngblood. Thanks for being part of the mission. Catch you next time.